Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. Occasionally, we experience things in our lives that not only surpasses our ability to understand them, but which may even cause us to question God's goodness. We hear about a God who is for us, but oftentimes experience pain and suffering on a scale that brings us to the edge of an abyss that makes a belief in a benevolent God very difficult. Today, we tackle a listener's question that not only broke our hearts when we received it, but one that shows that the concept of a Christian life being carefree and happy is utter foolishness. But before we get started, Vince, could you tell our listeners why you wanted to devote this whole episode to this one listener? Well, there are certain uh, questions for which there's no easy answer and there's no one answer either. And I think this uh, topic, this question, this real-life experience that we're going to be talking to today uh, is one of those. Uh, we say all the time that there's always a questioner behind the question, and you haven't really answered the question unless you've answered the questioner. So we really just appreciate the generosity of someone being willing to share so vulnerably um, with us about their life. And we hope in the smallest way through this episode that we can return the gift that we've received of someone uh, giving us a window into the reality of their life by taking that question very seriously and speaking to it uh, from our hearts as well. So I am going to read this question. Um, it is, uh, it is, there's some context behind it, so please, uh, please bear uh, that in mind. Um, this guy, this comes from Mike, Mike B. My son died last fall. He was excavating a trench for a drain line. He went into the trench and it collapsed on him. I had been sending up a lot of questions, a lot like, why didn't you divert him for just a few minutes? Keep him out of there. Prompt me to call him. Anything to keep him out of that trench until after it collapsed. Question popped into my head. Why didn't God, di God divert Eve from the tree? I've played that question out a few times. What would have happened if God would have casually strolled through the garden as Eve was on her way to the tree? On a side note, experience is showing that this may well be a wound that doesn't heal. It may scab over, but something rips the scab off way too frequently. If you meet anyone in a similar circumstance, give them a little extra grace. Their life is messed up. I've talked with people who have lost kids decades earlier, and the pain is still there, and tears still come easily. And ever since then, any news article about a death of a child or a young adult hurts just a little bit to read it. There's a lot of pain in this world. So uh, obviously, as difficult as this question is to read and to hear, um, I can't imagine uh, how difficult it was to experience this. Um, so I see two questions here. The first one, which Vince, let's, uh, if you could give a crack at it first, was why didn't God divert uh, Mike's son for just a few minutes or keep him out of the trench or prompt Mike to call him just anything to keep his son out of that trench. 
Yeah, extremely uh, difficult and real question. Uh, Mike, thank you for trusting us uh, with the question and what it is that you've experienced. I know when I became a Christian, let me just say this to start, you know, I I thought that there would be easy answers to all of these difficult questions of life. Um, The first time I ever spoke about this topic of serious suffering and loss as a believer um, with another person was with my Aunt Regina, and she shared with me, like you have done, uh, some serious suffering in her life and in the life of her son, uh, my cousin. And I remember that I responded with some of my philosophical abstract theoretical responses about why God might allow evil and suffering in the world. And I think there is a place for that. And I'm a philosopher. I'm committed to those intellectual responses. Uh, But at that time, she listened to me really graciously. And then she turned to me and she said, but Vince, that doesn't speak to me as a mother. And I think that was a fair comment. And so I've always been slower to respond to this question since then. And I guess the first thing I want to say is uh, just uh, an apology if anything I say in any way comes across as if I'm turning a real-life situation and someone you love into something that's theoretical or intellectual. We we realize how uh, very real this question is, and we're going to try and respect that um, as we talk about it. I'm also really grateful that within the Christian faith, I think that God gives us permission to talk about this. That wouldn't be the case in every faith, but uh, Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you uh, forsaken me? Jesus at Lazarus's uh, tomb, uh, weeping with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, The longest discussion in the entire Bible is the book of Job, and it's on the topic of suffering. You read through the Psalms and you see honest, raw emotion from the psalmists spoken to God, sometimes even frustration and anger. So I'm, I'm really thankful that we're given the freedom within the context of the Christian faith to ask this question in a frank way, in an open way, and then to wrestle through it. Vince, you have a really good point. It, this is even with the context of an understanding that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus wept. He, he didn't weep because the end uh, was going to be Lazarus being dead for all eternity. He wept because he understood that this is not the way that God created the world to be. Things are not the way that God made them to be. Um, so we have, not only do we have the ability to weep and lament over things that are, are there is just no way to paint them with rose-colored lenses, uh, we are expected to. And God, God th- the fact that he has put in the Psalms people screaming out to God saying, how much longer, Lord, shows that he not only says that we can do this, he expects us to. If the Son of God, the perfect man. There is no one who has lived in this world that has been the better picture of humanity. If he can weep at the death of his friend, we can weep, and we are expected to weep. 
That's right. And that word in John 11, when Jesus does uh, weep, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And the word that's used there is the strongest word for outrage. It's used uh, when a horse rears back on its back legs and snorts in anger or frustration. So there's something very visceral about that emotion that Jesus is uh, expressing there. And I'm just reminded as we speak of um, a young woman who, a non-Christian who I was once talking with about the faith, and she was reading through the scriptures, and she said to me at one point, I came to the point in the Gospels where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I was preparing myself to try to explain this and try to explain that he's quoting Psalm 22. He knows that that would be the beginning of Psalm 22, and you read the rest of the psalm, and that eventually gets to a point where things are turned around and we see redemption uh, within it. But she turned to me and she said, now I know that I can trust Jesus because this means that he understands. Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Michael. This is the starting point for us, a scripture that allows us to ask this question in a frank way and a God who understands what it is that we've been through because he's experienced it himself. I think one of the challenges for us with this question is, as Michael you know, you just said that actually the way the way the world is isn't actually how God intended for it to be or how He made it. So I guess, um, you know, the question Mike is getting at is if it's not the way God desired it to be, then why did He allow it, mm. you know, to be this way? If this isn't actually His intention, if the grief of the world, you know, pains Him as it pains us, then then why would it be this way? And you know, one of the things we say. Uh, in doing this uh, podcast, Ask Away is no question is off limits. I don't think that's to say that there aren't limits to what we can know. And and I think we're in one of those areas where we're actually really wrestling, you know, with that tension of God being um, so far above our understanding that um, even when we grasp for understanding, particularly when it comes to certain certain instances of suffering in our lives, major suffering. And, you know, often we'll point at a specific thing and say, God, why this thing? You know, in general, I can sort of make some arguments about generalities as to why some things happen, but why why would it be this thing? And um, I was listening to um, the blog that and my friend Michelle Qureshi put out not long ago after her husband Nabil had passed away. And, um, you know, it was incredibly raw and honest, um, someone who's grieving as a widow. Um, yeah. But she basically said in it, you know, actually, even if God sat me down and explained to me, you know, why Nabil died at this time, you know, when we've been praying that he wouldn't, I still don't think I would be able to understand it because he is God and I'm not. And he's holding the whole of the universe, the whole of human history in his hands. And, and you know, Nabil's life and our lives were just one thread of it. And, right. you know, how could I um, grasp, um, you know, how could I grasp the whole of it when I when I can't see the whole of it? And um, and I think that's kind of the struggle that we're wrestling. In. But one thing she said was, but God has not changed um, you know, the character of God, the goodness of God hadn't changed, even if her circumstances had have wildly changed. And um, and I think our, our struggle here in that question of, you know, why doesn't God intervene is that um, we we kind of want it both ways and we can't have it both ways. I think that's part of the problem for us. There are times we want God to intervene and other times we don't want God to intervene. And so we're kind of wrestling and with this tension. I actually think Mike I wrote another note along with this question. I actually think he said it really, really well. And I just want to read something that that he said. Um, 
Mike wrote, um, the first few times I'd be thankful if God intervened, but after so many times I could see myself becoming furious at the sight of God interrupting something that I thought was fun or exciting. The end result would be a separation from God. And if I was Eve, I'd eventually step around God and go to the tree. I prefer knowing that a rule of life is that it isn't fair that parents do bury children, that not everyone will reach 80 years of living, and knowing that there is a God who grieves along with us. How big is his heart to take on all the grief in this world that we can walk around him and go to our tree, but when we turn and come back to him in repentance, he is glad to see us. And I just thought that that was an incredibly insightful way to put something that we we wrestle with so much and particularly that question how big is God's heart to take on the grief of the world I mean it's been a hard summer when you look at all the things going on um you know with um hurricanes and forest fires and uh, you know shooting in Vegas and um you know everything we're seeing recently on social media about um sexual harassment and abuse you know it just feels like an endless litany of grief and and when you see the numbers sometimes it can feel so overwhelming that it kind of becomes a blur for us we lament in general but it's very hard for us to actually experience the weight of it all and yet for god these aren't generalities but but every single one is a personal loss is you know he's actually present he's grieving each individual um and i can't imagine the weight of of the grief that that he carries yeah, I think that was really well said by Mike and really beautifully said as well. And I appreciate that he's wrestled through this. And one of the points that he brings up is that it would take away our freedom if it was the case that God always intervened and said, actually, no, you're not going to go the way you've freely chosen. You're going to go this way. And I'm going to determine the consequences rather than allowing you to participate in some way in the formation of your life and of the formation of the world and in individual circumstances. And this is why this is so difficult. We think, well, that's exactly what I want. I want God to to intervene here and I want him to not allow that. But where do you then draw the line? And we don't want God, as Mike has said, to do that all the time because then actually we're not free people. We're not living meaningful lives then you have a God who is forcing us to move in this direction or that direction and forcing the consequences of what will come of that. That might initially seem attractive, but actually then God has produced robots. He hasn't produced free people. So it's a very difficult position that God is in. Don't hear me saying, well, this is an easy decision for God because of the way freedom is caught up into it. I think it means it's a very difficult position that God is in. But he has to create an environment where we can be meaningfully free and have that opportunity to choose between good and between evil. And oftentimes it's those decisions which are impacting the world as a whole uh, and other people maybe generations away from us. The other thing I would say here is that if God did intervene all of the time and make it the case that none of our free actions led to the bad consequences that we wish we could avoid. In a sense, he would be engendering the belief that we can live successfully apart from relationship with God. And that would be the most devastating thing for us to come to believe. If it were the case that he just forced the environment to be such that we could live without any bad consequences, without any evil, without any suffering, no matter what we do, then that would cause us to believe that even if we turn our backs on God, we can live successfully. 
And he needs us to see that that is not reality, that that is not the case. He needs us to see the spiritual reality of our hearts so that we will turn back to him. And a final point to make at this juncture, and I want to be really, really clear about this. And again, something I'm really thankful for in terms of the way Scripture speaks to this topic. It does not say that because someone has lost, because someone has suffered, because someone has experienced evil, that they are to blame for that. Uh, Jesus' disciples at one point said to him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus was very clear to say it's not because this man sinned or because his parents sinned. It's so that the glory of God might be revealed. And then in another place, the Tower of Siloam fell. Eighteen people were killed. And again, Jesus asked a question, do you think that this is because they were more guilty than others? And he answers in the negative that, no, that is not the reason. So in other worldviews, that might not be the case. In certain versions of Hinduism, you might have to say that if someone is suffering, it's because of their karma. It's because they're being repaid for something that they've done wrong in a previous life. But Christianity and Jesus speak specifically against that, and I'm really thankful for it. One of the things that's encouraging to me um, is that you can tell that Mike has a faith that that just assumes that God is good and that God knows what he's doing. It, it, with what you said in, in the part that you read that I left out so that you could you could uh, read it out, you could tell that he's he understands that God is good. And I think that if we if we understand that that pain and suffering is the human condition, we ne- we were never promised uh, a life free from pain, like you said. But if we understand that God is good and that He is for us, um, being able to deal with things that are unimaginably difficult um, is just a little bit more bearable. Um, we are we are dealing with a life that is oftentimes just so hard. Um, we've all experienced loss, maybe not to the extent of what Mike has gone through, but in, in, a, in a way we've experienced pain and suffering. But what has given me encouragement from reading this, uh, at the same time of breaking my heart, like I said, I've got, I'm the father of three. I can't even imagine uh, what uh, Mike had to go through. But the fact that he still believes in a God who is good and, and like I said, reading between the lines of his, his letter is just encouraging so that when we are all faced with situations that will ultimately come, we will all have to deal with, with, with savage suffering in our life, some more than others, but that faith will give us at least a little bit of, of a way of dealing with it. And what a, you know, the, the peace that surpasses understanding. And that is a hope that only we have. Yeah, that's really encouraging, and I think it speaks to the personal relationship that Mike has with God because there are certain types of confidences, certain things we can know that we really only can know by experience, by actually being intimate with God. And if you just think of a simple analogy, uh, I know that Joe, uh, my wife, loves me, but if you ask me to explain why, I can only explain a portion of that by talking to you about it or writing it down on paper. I can give you some instances. I can give you some examples. But the reality is that to truly understand and know that love, you can't understand it in full from a distance, from arm's length. You could only understand it with that kind of depth 
from being in intimate relationship with the person. And I think when we talk about God's love for us, God's goodness, God's trustworthiness, there's a similarity. We can speak to it to some extent just with words and sentences and theoretically, but the sort of confidence that Mike has even amid what he's gone through is only possible in the context of intimate relationship, which I see that he has. I feel like um, we're wrestling with with two questions here. One is, um, why does God allow suffering? And the other is, how do you deal with suffering when when it actually comes? And, you know, Mike, our, our prayer for you is um, that you would know God is comforter. Um, it, it was so raw when you, you know, you, you described this as a wound that you don't think will will ever heal and um and you know that just that makes so much sense I think we we do love a disservice when we treat grief as if it has some kind of expiration date and you know it's because we love deeply that we grieve so deeply I am I watched the movie The Hobbit a while ago and there's actually a scene in the film that isn't in the original book where one character is mourning the death the death of someone that she loved. And she says, if this is love, I don't want it. Would you take it from me, please? Why does it hurt so much? And her companion responds, because it was real. Mm-hmm. And um, But but what am- amazes me is that God, God gets, you know, whatever depth we go to in terms of the pain we're experiencing, God actually gets that. He's with us in it. It's Psalm 56. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle You've recorded each one in your book. There isn't a single sorrow that we go through that God doesn't actually not only recognize, but but actually treasure and and hold um, with us. And and I was just thinking of, um, I have no idea what it's like to experience the pain of losing a son, but actually God does. And, and, you know, Mike, you described, you know, that questioning of why couldn't God have, you know, just. Um, just done something slightly differently to mean that it didn't happen. Why didn't he reach out and and intervene in those moments? Um, but I also can't imagine what it was like for God to not reach out and intervene. You know, the Bible talks of God not sparing His own Son, and you know, and, and what must that have been like? You know, often we when we speak of the cross, we we speak about the suffering of Christ, and rightly so because Christ suffered death and He suffered tremendously. He took on you know, the sin of the world, but actually the cross is also a Trinitarian event because the father is also in a place of suffering there, a place of grief, of losing his son. And actually, um, it, it's theologian Jürgen Moltmann says it this way. Um, he says, the son suffers the dying, the father suffers the death of the son. The fatherlessness of the son is matched by the sonlessness of the father. You know, that that moment when Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But But that is a felt pain, you know, by the son and by the father. Um, in that moment and um, and thinking of wounds that don't heal. Um, I think there's something so um, profound and hard to grasp, but also beautiful about the fact that that actually we ourselves have a wounded healer, that that Jesus actually wears scars and um, that that he, he knows what it's like to carry uh, the wounds of the world. All of those wounds that we feel like won't heal are actually on Jesus' hands and on his feet. Mm. Um, and, and they're still there in his resurrection body. So he gets that. That's a great encouragement. I think that Jesus bears the scars and yet his body is fully redeemed mm-hmm. and perfected. And because like you said, Mike, there are some wounds that will never heal. If that were to mean that we could never be in a heavenly state, we could never be in a state where uh, we had moved beyond the loss that we feel now, that would be really discouraging. So that is, I think, Joe, a, a really 
excellent affirmation that the wounds don't heal in a full sense, and yet God is still big enough to bring us to a place of full redemption. So something to be really grateful for. I'd like to point out something that he wrote in his uh, side side note where he says, I've talked with people who have lost kids decades earlier. One of the things that uh, that that is an offshoot of suffering in certain ways um, is what has been called the brotherhood of shared suffering. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, I deployed to Iraq um, in 2007 as a, as a combat armed soldier and experienced things that um, were, were awful to say the least. There are people that I have, through that suffering, have earned the right to speak into their lives that I would not have unless I have experienced something that they have. What Mike has experienced uh, through the death of his son is the is the right to speak into the lives of people who have have, have experienced something similar just like those who had lost kids decades earlier were speaking t- into his life who had earned the right to speak into his life now he will have the ability to say not only does he have the the ability to say i understand he can mourn with them yeah. and that is an amazing thing and how amazing that is that God can say that to us because he has experienced what we've been through and then he can pass that on so that we can be there to comfort others as well. I want to circle back to this question about why didn't God intervene? And we've said something to it already. We've talked about the relationship between if we want a meaningfully free uh, context in which for us to live and meaningfully develop lives. And it can't be the case that God is just intervening all the time. So he's in a really tough position. And there have to be cases in which he doesn't intervene, at least in the short term. We've also talked about how if God did intervene all the time and made everything successful, even when we make bad choices, even when the brokenness of the world is moving in a negative direction, that would make it seem as if we could live successfully apart from God. And that is not something God can have us believe. He needs us to realize that our brokenness means that we're not living successfully, that we need a new heart, and that we need to turn back to Him. One more angle to open up, and I think that Mike really began to hit on it because he he was asking the question, why didn't God do something just slightly differently? Why didn't He just change the situation in some in some little way that would then make it the case that the result would have been different. And that's a really fair question. I just want to think it through a little bit together and see what the results might be. One example that I use sometimes is kind of a fun example, but when my parents were on their second date, they were standing on the Brooklyn Bridge. My dad noticed a ring on my mom's finger. He asked about it. She said it was a ring from one of her old boyfriends. He asked to see it. She took it off, handed it to him, and he chucked it off the bridge, and he watched it sink to the bottom of the East River. (laughs) Tells you something about my family. Now, my mom loved it. I actually think that was sort of the clinching moment for them. But here's a question. What if she hadn't? What if my mom had responded just slightly differently and instead of being impressed with that move by my dad, she decided, actually, this guy's a bit nuts. I better run back with the old boyfriend instead. What if my mom had wound up through even just 
a slight interaction on a bridge? What if she had wound up with the old boyfriend rather than my dad? Now, I might be tempted to think I could have been better off. Maybe the old boyfriend had more money. Maybe, uh, maybe he was royalty. You know, I could have been a prince. Vince the Prince, that would have been no, great. No, <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> I might be tempted to think that I would have been better off, but I would be thinking through it incorrectly because if my mom wound up with her old boyfriend rather than with my dad, it wouldn't be me who came to exist. Right. Even if they had a child, it would have been someone else. And so here's my point. I think sometimes we wish that we could take certain instances of evil out of the world without changing anything else. But I don't think that it works that way. You start rearranging the evil and the suffering in the world, the interactions in different ways. It has knock-on effects. And all it took was my mom responding slightly differently on a bridge to my dad throwing that ring off of the bridge for her to maybe wind up with the old boyfriend rather than with my dad and for me to never come to exist. Well, what if we started to change history in all of the ways that we wish we could change history so that people had never gone through the losses that they've gone through? I'm not saying this makes it any easier, but I think that when you think this through well, you come to the conclusion that if we actually had the world that sometimes we wish God had allowed to exist and take out all of the possibilities for evil and suffering that we wish he had taken out, we actually change a lot more than we sometimes realize. And maybe it would be the case that none of us who are listening right now, none of the people that we love ever would have come to exist because things would have interacted and moved in very different ways. Different people would have gotten to know each other and would have gotten together and would have produced children. And so again, it's just a realization that God is sometimes in a much more difficult situation than we think. He's dealing with a really big picture as well as loving each individual's heart. And only he can hold those two things together. But sometimes we want to change the world in such radical ways we don't realize what the result is. Sometimes I think we unwittingly wish ourselves out of existence by the way that we wish God had dealt with the world. Well, guys, uh, we are out of time. Thank you uh, so much. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, it's tough to sum this up, but uh, I think the best we can do is probably to return to uh, the book of Job, which wrestles with questions very similar to the one that Mike has helpfully raised uh, for us. And just a few things to quickly pull out of that book. Maybe some of you will have a chance to read it over the next week. But the first thing we see there is that while God allows... Uh, Satan and involvement in the world. He allows certain evil to occur. Uh, he allows it. It's not that he's directly causing it or desiring it. We then see in that book that God doesn't agree with Job's friends, that it's Job's fault. He doesn't condemn uh, Job. Uh, and oftentimes when we suffer, our initial instinct is to think, what have I done wrong? And I think we want to resist that. Yes, our Wrong actions can lead to suffering, but there's no one-to-one correlation between that and the Christian faith. We also see that Job is allowed to bring his frustration and all of his raw, frank, open emotions to God, and we can thank God for that. Uh, Later on in the book, God reminds Job that his ways are higher than our ways, that Job wasn't there when God 
created the universe, and so we need to take a humble position here, um, as Mike, you very much have done, and say that, God, you know so much more uh, than we know, and we trust in your judgment. Uh, And then God meets with Job in a personal way, and it goes back to being in relationship with God. And ultimately, Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eye has seen you. And so it's in the context of pursuing relationship with God that we get our ultimate answers to this question. The final thing in Job that uh, I hadn't noticed until fairly recently was that at the beginning of the book, Job loses everything. He loses his wealth, his animals, his family. At the end of the book, it says that God gave back to Job a double portion of everything he had lost. He gets back twice as much wealth, twice as much animals, but he only gets back the same number of children. He lost 10 children at the beginning of the book. He's only given back 10 children at the end of the book. And it raises the question of why that is. And maybe the reason that is, is because he hasn't, in the most ultimate sense, lost his children at the beginning of the book. He's not with them for a time, but in Christ, there is the hope that he could be reunited with them for all time. So that's a great hope for us to hold on to. Joe, I think it'd be really nice if we could just pray uh, for Mike and for his family. Would you do that for us? Yeah, um, Mike, I want to pray for you, and I want to pray actually a prayer written by um, someone called Edward Shilito, who was a soldier during the First World War, um, and it's a prayer um, seeking comfort from the God of comfort. So let me pray for you now. If we have never sought, we seek you now. Your eyes bend through the dark, are only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on your brow. We must have you, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us, where is the balm? Jesus, by your scars, we claim your grace. If when the doors are shut you draw near, only reveal those hands that side of thine. We know today what wounds are, have no fear. Show us your scars, we know, the countersign. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but you alone. Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. God bless you, Mike. And uh, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you guys next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.